The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am joined by my co-host Dave. How's it going, Dave? It's going great, Ryan. Oh, it is nice to be here. Um, happy Vernal Equinox. Yes, happy, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy, well, we've been St. Patrick's Day. Happy Vernal Equinox, I guess. Okay, so it's wait, is today the longest day of the year? I think I think that's the the whatever the summer equinox is, isn't it? Oh, okay. We're still like 3 months away from that. Okay, but then the, the solstice is in the winter. Sure. Okay. You know what? Screw those guys. That's right. It, it's 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 a day. Okay, there's lots of days on the calendar. There you go. I think there's 365. No. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> That's how they get you. Yeah, frog. Because it leaps. It's a leap year. Okay. <laughs> if you want to follow the Break the Business podcast and uh, find out all the stuff that we do, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K A I R. Follow Dave at. D-K-A-Y-E-1027. You can also email the show at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You email us. You can send us questions if there's a topic you want us to talk about on the air. If you just want to criticize us, all warranted, especially after those first 30 seconds, um, that's where you go. Um, Let's see. Oh, you should also rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Help Mm -hmm. move us up those uh, things. And, of course... Tell a friend. Before we get cooking day, we have so much stuff to talk about today. We've we got, got a packed house. Oh my God. I can't believe all the stuff we've loaded for this episode. It's going to be like a nine hour episode. You know, we'll, we'll see if we can hustle through it because we know that the listeners got places to be. But um, I think I see first on the board, we have a wedding update. So oh, that's right. Here we go. And now it's time for another Ryan's wedding update here on the Break the Business podcast. Flowers. So I uh, understand you have an update. Oh uh, yes, I do. Okay. Um, I I I never thought we would do the wedding segment again. I thought it was going to be a one-time thing, but I have something to bring up with you, and I think it would be much funnier to bring it up on the air, um, and probably very unfair to you that I'm bringing it up on the air. But yeah, because this is legitimately you're telling me something for the first yeah, time. Yeah, this isn't a bit. Like you don't know what I'm going to tell you. But my sister, who's doing a lot of work on planning the wedding, thank you so much, Lauren. Taking a lot of that off my hands. You're the best. She is wondering why you have not RSVP'd for the wedding yet. Dave, did you think I wasn't going to find out that you have yet to RSVP for this wedding? Can I be real with you? You're in the wedding, Dave! W- when's the date? Is there a date already? What? No, no, I mean, no, when's the date to RSVP? You RSVP right now! Oh. <laughs> Who cares when the date is? You're like, in the wedding! Like, you want me to RSVP right now on the show? I, you can do it, like, right after the show. Um, you have an invitation that right. it tells you how to RSVP. You don't even have to mail anything out. I have saved you the cost of a stamp. It's all online. You're in the wedding. So I want to tell you the truth. I actually haven't opened it. You haven't opened the invitation. Well, because I saw the invitation that you sent to my parents. Yeah. So I kind of figured it was the same thing. But you're right. I probably should RSVP. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm still thinking about it. I'm gonna, I guess see what I got going. Because there may be like you know a gun smoke marathon that day. Gun smoke. Yeah, and you know you you, you really got to catch up because <laughs> we have to binge gun smoke. Well, because I mean you can't just go walk walk in on year fifteen. That's insane. 
You know, there's that show so did much, run for a long time. There's so much that's happened beforehand. Did someone punch someone in a saloon? Maybe why is this rancher mad? You know, I don't know. Um, yeah. So wow, that's embarrassing. Can you please just RSVP? Look, and I know it's it's stupid. I know you're coming. You've told me you're coming. Like you're already like working on the you know tuxedo and everything because I've sent you the groomsman stuff. Yes, I'm working like, on the tuxedo. I'm designing all the tuxedos for the for the groomsmen. Well, well you're working on getting your tuxedo. But the point is, apparently, yes. For some reason, like the way weddings work is you can't just tell me you're coming and I can't just tell Lauren you're coming and that's done. Like you have to use the RSVP interface. Fine. I'm going. All right. You've called me out on air. I'm going your damn wedding. Okay. Are you happy? Are you happy? You happy? I'm very happy. And Lauren, this is the only RSVP you're getting. No, you're going to RSVP. All right, fine. Do I get a choice between chicken or fish or the vegetarian? I think it's a buffet. It's a buffet. That's right. You bastard. (laughs) All right, coming up next in the oh, next we're not gonna, segment. We're not going to keep this angry energy the whole time. That's right. Oh, because we have so many things to cover. This show oh. is packed to the gills. Coming up next in the next segment, um, I'm really excited to speak with her. Uh, country uh, pop indie star Elena is going to be coming on. She's going to talk about her fan club. She's going to talk about how she is a monster on Twitter. If you're an indie artist and you want to know how to you know, build your Twitter following, you want to know how to write great songs, you want to know how to build that base of dedicated diehards uh hang out stick around for the next segment we're going to talk to elena and it's actually interesting you mentioned twitter because there's apparently there's been a change in twitter and how they're operating yes i'm i'm that's exactly right and i'm really not sure how to feel about this i'm a little troubled because it definitely seems to favor the big people out there, the verifieds. Well, the 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 mystical verified blue check people. That's right. Um, Twitter has recently announced, or they didn't really announce as much as they just sort of dropped this bomb on Twitter, like in the dead of night. Twitter is uh, for since Twitter's inception almost ten years ago, it's always been a truly live feed. Like what you're reading is what is the tweets that you're getting in order. Right and. As Twitter has become bigger, there are some who believe that that sort of model is unsustainable because you would, you know, if you if you're the kind of person that follows thousands, tens of thousands of people, you're going to miss a whole lot of tweets if right. the only things you're seeing are the most recent things. So Twitter has finally announced that they are converting to an algorithm, mm-hmm. a la Facebook, where the the tweets you're going to see are going to be out of order and it's going to be based on you know whoever the most prominent tweets that you're getting are going to be the ones that you see first. Um, that is not so good for our podcast. Uh, no, yeah, because we're, we're, we're small, yeah. you know, admittedly. Right. We're small, you know, we, you know, we're, we're, you know, and so like when I tweet or when you tweet and we tweet episodes out, I don't think they're going to be seen by as many people on a curated algorithm feed. And so, right. and I've already noticed like our, our numbers have, I mean, they're not, they're not in the toilet, but they're starting to dip a little bit. And I think, and, and it's right there with the creation of this algorithm. So I can't help but think the two things are related. Hmm. But lest we just complain about our own lives, I think we should probably talk about how this algorithm might um, affect indie artists mm-hmm. because you know that's what we're here for, frankly. And one of the things, one of the challenges that this imposes upon you, the indie artist, particularly if you don't have as many followers as say Elena does, who's coming up in the next segment. Um, It becomes much more critical that you have to be much more active on Twitter than you used to be so that your tweets can make it into the feeds of your followers. Um, Right. You're you're getting your your, the algorithm is noticing you. That's right. Um, And so you can't just tweet random stuff and then, you know, just assume that people will see it if they log in right when you tweet it. Um, One of the things that, you know, Twitter has sort of been kind of 
smoke-filled room, you know, cloak and daggery about how exactly their algorithm works. But one thing that they did say in a press release is that the algorithm is going to look at, um, you know, how much you interact with certain people's accounts and how much, you know, those accounts engage with you. And so the more that your follower engages with you on Twitter, the more that your tweets are going to end up in their feed. So what does that say to you as an indie artist? You have to interact more on Twitter. You should be um, at mentioning your fans more often. You should be replying to tweets more often so that those people reply to you. And now when you tweet something, you have a better chance of getting up in that algorithm feed. So you can make it work for you if you're more active. Um, you can you can actually, if you're active enough and you're interact with the, interacting with your fans enough, theoretically, you can make this algorithm work in your favor but it does mean you're going to have to hustle a lot more than you used to so yeah. that's sort of the world we're in now and it's uh, it's scary for us because you know you know honestly you and i dave like you know we work for a living this isn't what pays the bills this podcast mm, right and, and so now we're going to have to be like much more twitter addicted like you know some like 15 year old kid yeah <laughs> to to kind of work our way up like, that la- sucks. La- ladies and gentlemen of the jury the death penalty in this case is a very serious hold on a second i guess in a tweet first um <laughs> Okay. Exactly. Ryan, did you totally check out that awesome uh, billboard story? Anyway, Amanda Life hangs in the valley. Oh, sweet. I got light. All right. Nice. Yeah. God bless that algorithm. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving into the next story. Um, I saw an article uh, earlier this month, Dave, by Hugh McIntyre and Sonic Bids. And I we, we've we've talked about his articles before. I right. like them. Hugh McIntyre. The Mac Attack. That is I, do, I can't imagine that's what they call him. I have just decided to call him that. All right. So Mac Attack. That's fine. The Mac Attack, uh, who normally has fantastic articles, and you know, but for this particular article he put out, I was a little upset by it. Um, he wrote an article in Sonic Bids called Six Things a Band Manager Does or Should Do for You. Uh-oh. Band manager alert. Yeah. That's one of Ryan's uh, sort of trouble words. Yeah, it's, it's a pet peeve of mine. I, yeah. I am very skeptical of managers in general for indie artists. Uh, I tell indie artists all the time when they'll, you know, because I have indie artists who will come up to me and say, uh, I'm looking for a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, or God, they might even say like, would you be interested in managing? And I right. go a thousand times no. But they'll often say, you know, I'm looking for a manager. And my first inclination is to go, Awesome. That's wonderful. Good for you. You're telling me your career is so big and taken off that you don't possibly, like you can't possibly, you know, handle everything on your own and you need somebody to run your organization. Oh my God, you're a superstar. High five. And they go, oh no, I just got like, you know, 10 Twitter followers and I have one song on SoundCloud. I hate to call you out, but I think you literally made that exact same setup. No, it, from it, one of our first shows. Oh no, it's totally it's totally a callback. I mean, it, it like almost verbatim. That's really funny. No, it's totally a callback. Yeah. And thank you for <laughs> thank you for uh, thank you for like you know needling me about it. Yeah, I'm about to make it a hundred times worse. You ready? I'm, okay. I, I can't believe I'm admitting this on the air. Okay, go ahead. All that that whole bit's in the book too. <laughs> you actually transcribed what we did on the air, or no, you did on the air what you wrote in the book, right? What I'm saying is that oh what I'm saying is like what the, the thing I was just doing is in the book. The layers, man. Like so, yes, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm plagiarizing myself from a previous episode who plagiarized me from the book. That's fine. Wow. But all of and but I don't mind repeating this point because artists think that a manager's job is to make you famous. And in this industry, it's not. Mm-hmm. And manager's job is to help you manage fame once you have it. Before you have that fame, 
Your job is to manage yourself and get your fame to that level. If you're looking for a manager or somebody to kind of like take you to the top, there's a very good chance that person who's going to take you to the top is it's somebody who will take you to the top on their terms rather than your terms. And you might not like the way they get you there. And so this article talks about, you know, how to, you know, what a band manager does. And I'm like reading it angrily because I'm like, no, this is not what a manager should be doing for you. Like the first one was a uh, manager should help you attract the list of labels. Uh, I'm sorry, attract the interest of labels. Mm-hmm. If you've listened to this podcast, I hope if, if there's one thing that we've sort of projected to you, it's that the getting the record deal is not the be all and end all goal. And sometimes, you know, it can really ruin your career as it Mm -hmm. has for many other artists. You're your own label, get your own music out there, create your own music, distribute it, promote it, which you can all do for next to nothing in this new music industry. Thanks to the internet. You don't need a manager to help you find one of these things. Again, a manager does not make you famous. It helps you manage your fame once you have it. And then, so number two on this list is a manager should help you fight for a better deal. You know, I guess they, this, this author, Hugh McIntyre envisions the manager, you know, across the table from, you know, this record deal, you know, record label council, mm-hmm. like fighting for you. I don't know what manager this is, but I don't want the manager, you know, helping you fight for a better deal. That's a lawyer's job. That's a lawyer's job. Oh, shoot. Ryan, that was, that involves the law. Oh, shoot. Do I need to play the law sound? Yes, please. Okay. Why did you touch me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Okay, thank, we, thank you, we, Sylvester and Armand. Yes, we. I think we need to by uh, ethical our ethical rules that we have. To, we have to play that. So whenever we have a law thing, whenever we're talking about entertainment law, we have to play. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. In fact, I think you said you may have to do a trial next year. If your opening statement, I want you to play that, <laughs> say nothing, and sit down. And that's going to be my whole case? Yes. That should work out well for me. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll totally help you on the disciplinary board hearing, but, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> Anyway, right. yeah. So yeah. You need a lawyer. The manager shouldn't be uh, doing contract deals for you. That's right. And here's the third one. And this one I, I was most flabbergasted by. This This person writes that a manager's job is to secure you endorsements and you know partnerships and opportunities like that again a manager's job is to manage your fame not make you famous the manager's job is not to create opportunities for you in fact in states like california and also florida it's illegal for a manager to do this kind of work because securing endorsements that's the job of a booking agent and if a manager does the work of a booking agent without a license that's illegal. That manager could have to give back all of the commissions that the manager got. So the lesson in this is that particularly if you're a Californian, if a manager is approaching you and trying to say, I'm going to make you famous, I'm going to find you all these deals. Hey, I'm going to make you famous, uh, guy. Yeah. How are you going to do it? What are you going to do? Oh, well, first I got to get, you got to give me some money, right? Remember, I'm music industry fat cat. It's been a while. Oh, hey. Oh, yeah. Welcome back, fat cat. Well, you know, I heard about this story and uh, I thought it sounded great. Everything was on point. <laughs> All designed to make me rich and powerful. Well, and you're probably the kind of guy, Fat Cat, you're going to try to, you know, you're going to try to give, you know, get artists booked into shows and get you endorsement deals and things like that. I, I mean, you said booking agents. And yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of bookies, Ryan, a lot of bookies. Well, 
But I mean, if you're going to do this kind of work, surely you're licensed as a talent agent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say that, Ryan. I got it on my business card, so you know it's true. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm winking because I'm saying wink because they can't see me wink, Ryan. But you know what's going on. We're just trying to get our beak wet. Yeah, that's it. Our beak wet. Now, the manager might have a role with the booking agent. You know, again, the manager is sort of helping you manage your fame. So you're going to want these two people interacting to make sure that the opportunities that the booking agent are procuring for you are ones that might be in line with what you want in your career. But the idea of a manager going out and creating these, you know, opportunities for you, finding your gigs, finding you endorsement deals, that's all illegal in, you know, big states like California, Mm -hmm. where most of these artists are doing their work. So uh, the point is, and hopefully this is going to happen more and more, is today's artists have to abandon the old idea of what a manager is. Because I think all of these things, like the manager finds you the record deal, creates you opportunities, that's like... That's like 1970s. Like I feel, I think they're just thinking of Jimmy Fallon from Almost Famous. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> that, that's that's exactly what they're yeah. and like. That's not what it is anymore. You know, and in fact, there are many artists who are still very big artists who still elect to manage themselves just because they've decided there's nobody more equipped to pull the levers than me. Right. And hey, who knows my career more? Me. Right. Exactly. And. So, and, but particularly if you're early in your career, if you're still getting started, if, you know, if the levers, if you can still pull the levers on there on your own, there's nobody better suited to be your manager than you. And the only time you're going to want to bring somebody in is when there's so much minutia and, and your organization's so complicated that you just can't pull all the levers on your own. Right. But 90, 95% of indie artists are just not in that position right. yet. And remember when you are in that position, don't make it your mother. Or your father. Oh, yeah. No momagers. Yeah. We, we, we discussed that before. Just bringing it back up. No momagers. Because well, it, it is, you know, a, a music manager. Like, this isn't just, like, you know, your buddy who's helping you out. Like, you need somebody who's a sophisticated business person. Maybe somebody with music industry experience. But certainly somebody who knows how to manage an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like a, a manager is like your COO. You're the CEO. You're at the top of the pyramid. The manager doesn't run you. You have to run the manager. And... The manager is the COO, the operating officer, who makes sure that the day-to-day stuff gets done so that you can focus on the big picture stuff. You really, yeah. I mean, they're doing stuff, but you also don't want them to be too much in focus. And basically, you need to get a Major League Baseball manager as your manager. I envision them just in the top step in a jacket, (laughs) chewing something, (laughs) and just looking on, you know, like from the stage. I'm imagining Buck Showalter, essentially. So you want to hire Buck Showalter, but the artist is still the GM. Is kind of in your metaphor. Or is the artist the pitcher? The pitcher? I don't know. If you're having a rough night, he comes on stage and, and gets his, like, sorry, kid. It's like, nights. You didn't have it tonight. I, I, I don't even, I'm not well, doing Buckshaw. I think, uh, again, yeah. Sorry, kid. You didn't have it tonight. I'm going to bring in the relief. Oh, not the, not the act from Cleveland. The rock act. <laughs> sorry, it's not your night. Got to go. We're going to go home, pack it up, take the bus down to Nashville. Well, I think the, the, the more apt baseball metaphor... Um, the one that hopefully more artists observe in, and unfortunately not enough artists do observe is you are the manager's boss and the manager runs the organization. And so with so many artists, it's the other way around. Like the manager kind of controls the artist and that tends to lead to the sort of yeah. bad scenarios that they're we like so the, frequently yeah, see. They're like the 25th man on the roster instead of the owner. I, should we just keep torturing this baseball metaphor? <laughs> Or we can move to the next topic. Oh, let's do that. All right. 
Um, and we'll run through this quick and then we'll bring Elena on. I'm super excited to talk with her. Um, this is from Tyler Allen in Pledge Music News. And I like what Tyler Allen wrote about here. Uh, he wrote an article called Four Reasons Superfans Are Your Most Valuable Asset. And what he talked about is just the importance of have, of cultivating diehard fans as an indie artist. And what he talks about in the article, which I think is fascinating, is the music industry has changed to the point where you're not going to get rich in small dollar increments. Like it used to be in the old days, you'd make millions of dollars because you'd have millions of fans all paying, you know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks for your album. And you'd put that all together and you're rich. Mm -hmm. But now, as we've noted on this show before, people don't download music anymore. They stream it for fractions of a penny. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you don't, you know, you can't win with the small dollar transactions. So how do you make up the difference? You got to have the super fans. You have to cultivate this group of people that are willing to pay big dollars to have big experiences with you. Beyonce's. Oh, super fans like SNL? Yeah, Bill Swirsky super fans. You got to get the super fans there, Ryan. That, like, if you're fans of Dr. Dre's, the beats. I got to say, yeah. I, you're, are you going to do the, the super fans SNL voice for a while? The Chicago voice? I guess I could, Dre. Here's the thing, man. Yeah. I feel like this is another case of you being woefully unaware of our audience okay you're saying early 1990s type uh, sketch comedy thing uh, don't fly that's what i'm saying with the chicago bears that's what i'm saying or chicago bulls even it's bulls. bulls what i'm saying is that our, our, our listeners like we we skew older than the people who listen to this show i think there are a lot of people in their 20s maybe in their teens who don't know who the super fans are in fact let's put that out on an email email is break the business at gmail.com do you get the reference yeah, do you know who Bill Swirsky is? And I don't think I don't think that's going to resonate with people, but we'll find out with the email. Okay, well, if anything, also if you want to send some copies of that, you can make some copies of those emails. Oh my god, Ryan, the Reister, Saving Private Ryan. Do you want to do some more old uh, SNL uh, references from the no! late 80s or late? No, <laughs> no, I don't. Caveman lawyer? No. Oh, I, okay. See now you're tickling me because I love unfrozen caveman <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> I mean, I don't appreciate that you're just doing a bunch of dated SNL references that nobody in our audience is going to get. But damn it, I love Unfrozen Cave. But they're good Lawyer. SNL references. That's a great cast. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Red Party Dime. Excellent. All right. All right, man. All right. All right. <laughs> hey, man. It's not my fault we were born where we were. Okay. So if you have these fans. Yes. Um, so if you're not, if, sorry, I should say, if you're not getting the small value contributions to your music anymore, because people aren't going to be able to buy your music in the same way, mm-hmm. you have to make it up um, by having a few fans that bring you most of your income. And these are the super fans. These are the ones that are going to contribute to your crowdfunding campaigns, contribute to your Patreon campaigns. They're going to be the ones that do the meet and greets at your shows, buy a ton of merchandise, basically what you are for Metallica. I was going to say, these are the guys that go fly across the country, even go into other countries, buy a bunch of shirts, spend money. Going to be going to see them later on this year, actually. Tickets go on sale at a certain time that I can tell you people about, because I don't want to fight you people for these tickets. Yeah. And so a lot of artists might be asking out there, how do you create these super fans? How do you cultivate them? Well, it takes a lot of time. I remember when I was in college, I had this professor in business school who talked about the 80-20-80 rule. And he talked about it in sales where... 80-20-80? That's right. What he would say in, for sales, for salespeople, you have to spend 80% of your time 
on the 20% of customers that generate 80% of your money. Oh, God, this guy sucks. Oh, no, this is, he, he was actually a great professor. I know, I was and, right, but I'm sure he went, when, when he figured out that rule one day, like one night at dinner, he was like, yes, I solved it. I am the greatest <laughs> professor ever. Oh, I can't wait to see their faces when I tell them. Well, the 80-20 rule is uh, fairly common in business, but yeah, he made it the 80-20-80 by talking about that last piece. But I think for indie artists, you mm-hmm. should have the same rule. You should be spending 80% of your time on the 20% of your fans, the super fans, who are going to generate 80% of your money. And so that means you need to really use Twitter, for example, to interact with people. You need to have private messaging. You have to let these people feel like you have a one-on-one relationship with them. It goes back to actually what we just talked about for the first story. That's right. So the now you're basically being forced to by Twitter to do this thing anyway. So, so you might it, as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it all benefits you. Um, fan clubs can be useful for this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're going to be talking to Elena in the next segment. She actually has her own fan club called the, you ready? Uh-huh. The Elaniacs. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's kind of like Animaniacs. There you go. Hey, another old show. How many old references are you going to do today? Okay, but the 90s is not old, is it? I mean, we're... we're <laughs> damn it, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, we're old, man. Um, but uh, Elena has a fan club where she actually... Uh, you know, people will you know, get special extra content from them, and that's her cultivating the super fans. Um, Amanda Palmer, uh, the famous indie artist, actually gets a lot of these super fans... By crowdsourcing. So if she if she wants to bounce off ideas for songwriting, she'll reach out to her super fans on Twitter and say, hey, I got, you know, I have this idea for a song. Do you want to suggest lyrics or things like that? Just you know, let them be a part of the process. That's a great way to kind of cultivate super fans. And, um, you know, there was one more that I had now. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yes, of course. And this might seem counterintuitive, but you want to create super fans? Mm-hmm. Let your super fans do stuff for you. I've had indie artists tell me that when they go to a new town, they'll reach out to people in that town on Twitter and say, hey, I need, I'm in town for a show. I need a place to crash. Can I crash on your couch? And so that by letting that person do a favor for you, you've essentially created a fan and a super fan. Because how can you not be super fans with somebody who slept on your couch? Wait, the artist sleeps on the fan's couch? That's right. It's okay. actually it's a great way to tour if like you can't afford hotels and stuff. I guess just the uh, um, disclaimer: be careful. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of Please. course. Yeah, no. We're not advocating you just going to strangers' places and sleeping <laughs> over. You know, I don't know, check out Airbnb first. Maybe they're not a sponsor, or, <laughs> well, or it, how look to see if there's a residence in. I don't know. Uh, just <laughs> it, it is the sort of thing that other artists have, have have done to some level of success. But yeah, you know, do your research, vet a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like 1968, and you're just like, okay, everyone's just sort of very hippish and communal. Like, all right, nothing's going to happen. But then again, peace and love, man. There was Charles Manson. So anyway, on that thought, you know, (laughs) sleep tight. So uh, (laughs) on that on that greatly positive note, uh, we're going to be talking to Elena right now. Um, We'll see you in just a bit on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. 
Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is a Nashville-based country pop singer-songwriter, a three-time winner of the Tennessee Songwriters Association International Female Songwriter of the Year Award. She recently released the EP The Wrong Side, which she created following a successful Kickstarter campaign where she raised nearly $10,000 for the release. The blog Queens of Country said that her EP breaks through the stereotypes and barriers of country music. You can find out more about her work at elenasmusic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Elena is on the Break the Business podcast. Hi, how are you? Um, It's great. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, that's that's good to hear. Um, we're, <laughs> we're equally pleased to have you on. Um, I know you're, you know, you, you keep so busy and you got so many things going on. The fact that you can make some time for us is tremendous. I just really appreciate you asking me. Thank oh, you. Oh, of course, my pleasure. Um, for those who are uninitiated into the kind of uh, music you're putting out there, can you tell the folks a little bit about you and uh, your music? I would say that my music is country with a little twist of pop and rock, um, kind of mixing the sound of the band Perry and Miranda Lambert um, with a little bit of Taylor Swift all rolled into one. I definitely get that vibe from it. Um, You you, you definitely bring a lot of that because I'll I'll tell you right now, you know, I'm from Miami, Florida. I'm not, you know, we're not really – bred to love country music down here but (laughs) i think regardless of whatever genre you might have an affinity for there's a lot to like about your music because you have the pop elements you have the rock elements and even if you didn't grow up you know in nashville i think we have one country station in the whole like southeastern part of (laughs) where uh, of of, (laughs) like where we live um but um, even if that's not, you know, really what you grew up with, like there's a lot to enjoy about your music. And I think, um, the folks are going to like it. We're actually going to play one of your songs a little bit later. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I actually didn't grow up listening to country at all. Um, I, w- I listened to a lot of pop and rock, like adult contemporary. Um, I didn't get into country until a little bit later whenever, um, the Dixie chicks were kind of taking stride and Shania Twain and just that kind of like pop sound that they were implementing into country, maybe turn a little bit towards that genre more. Oh, did you grow up in Nashville? I didn't. I'm actually originally from Western Pennsylvania. Oh, scandal. Um, Do your fans yeah. know this? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> the country hotbed of Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's from it's um a little town called Butler. It's about an hour north of Pittsburgh. Oh, very cool. Um, there's been a lot of things written about the approach you take to running your career and how disciplined it is. More disciplined than people might expect for an indie artist. In an interview with SecretsOfTheirSuccess.com, you talked about how you stick to a set, rigorous schedule each week and you plan your days out very carefully. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you set your schedule as an indie artist? Sure. Um, well, I will tell you that my planner is my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to write everything down because if I don't, I will for sure forget it. I will miss appointments and be all over the place. So it is by my side all day, every day. (laughs) And I just kind of have to think about, you know, what I'm doing that week. Um, every week is going to be different. You know, I'll have different co-writes and meetings and stuff like that, but I've got to have that all written down and, um, kind of think ahead of time about each day, what I'm going to be doing, what I'm going to be working on. Like, okay, this afternoon, I'm going to be doing this, this, and this, you know, later in the evening, I'm going to go to rehearsal or, 
um, you know, go to a co-write and, you know, by Friday I need to have this done and this done. So just making sure that I schedule all of that and keep it organized so that I can get done what I need to get done. That sounds you know, like just so that I can continue advancing what I need to do. Yeah. It sounds like you have more of like a, a typical office job than, you know, being yeah. like a, a, a country pop singer. Like, you know, like you have meetings and, you know, deadlines and, and I guess that's the, you know, that's the approach that, you know, indie artists have to take. We've said it on this show before that at its core, indie artists have to be entrepreneurs and you have to treat your career like any other business that you have to run. And that means being organized and, you know, having a schedule and sticking to it, um, and sort of setting the goals that come with that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the music business, so it's not just music. I mean, obviously that's a huge part of it, but it's also business, which actually might even be more of it. Um, I mean, no one's actually making me do this stuff. Um, no one's making me send a newsletter out, you know, no one's making me make sure that my website's website is updated. It's just, um, me, you know, taking on the role as entrepreneur and knowing within myself, you know, if I want to hit this goal, you know, if I want to have, you know, this many fans or this many followers on this, you know, webpage, like setting small goals, to get to that bigger goal, you know, and actually taking the action to get there. So do you do a lot of long-term goal setting? Like you say, like, I want to have this many followers by, you know, a certain date or something like that to help facilitate your short-term planning. I do. Um, I, you know, like for, for example, my Twitter account, um, I had a, a goal last year of a certain amount that I wanted to get done by the end of the year and I exceeded it. And so I made a new goal for, this year. Wow. So kind of, so exactly. So kind of things like that. That's really cool. Um, and speaking of, uh, of business of dollars and cents, I want to talk about your monster Kickstarter campaign. Um, a lot of the indie artists listening right now are going to be so jealous about what I'm going to say. Uh, your Kickstarter campaign for your new EP, the wrong side raised nearly $10,000. And I can already hear the, the envy coming from the listeners out there. Um, uh. what were some of the things that you were able to do to make that campaign so successful? Um, what did I do to make it so successful? Yeah. Um, well, I started, let's see, I launched it, I think it was like really early February. Um, I started planning for that in December of the year before. And I just, you know, had to think about my budget for the record and for the CD release party and basically what I needed, you know, how much I needed to market everything. Um, what all that I wanted to buy, I wanted to buy t-shirts. So I had to, you know, budget for that, uh, for eight by 10 photos, I had to budget for that and then kind of plan out, um, the, the levels that people could pledge at and what they would get in return for pledging at those levels. So that took some time, you know, it took me, you know, two months to plan that out and also, um, find somebody to film the video for me that I used, on the main page of the campaign. So it was just a lot of planning and a lot of, um, working it out. 
and but when I launched it, it was really exciting. Yeah, you, you wow, that was a great answer. You hit like all the marks and and what you and what like if somebody was writing an article about how to succeed at Kickstarter, you hit on everything. Uh, you talked about budgeting and how you know one of the toughest things in a Kickstarter campaign is setting that funding goal just right. You set it if you set it too high, you know you might not make the goal and your project doesn't get funded. But the real nightmare scenario is setting it too low, and now you're responsible for delivering a project you can't afford. And so what you did is exactly the right thing, you know, setting a very careful budget, not just considering the cost of, you know, making the album, but the cost of all your rewards, the cost of, you know, all the, you know, little things that you're going to need to do to make this happen. And, um, and then the other side of it that you, you spoke of is making a great Kickstarter video. Um, I've had artists tell me that the Kickstarter video may very well be the most important video you make as an indie artist. And you got to make sure you put a lot of resources into it and have the right people filming it. And it sounds like you did. Yeah. I mean, I didn't spend like hundreds of dollars on it. Actually, I, I found a, um, somebody who recommended me to a videographer who I got a great deal with, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff (laughs) is word of mouth. And who do, who do you know that knows this person that can, you know, help me out or, you know, give me a favor or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of budgeting and, um, it went really well, but I will say that I did not budget enough actually for shipping. I went, $250 over than what I expected because I had no idea that this would happen. But with my Kickstarter, um, I had, and what was it? 35 different States and 12 different countries. So I had all these international people and I just was not expecting that at all. So like the international shipping costs were, you know, (laughs) obviously more than the, than the U S shipping costs. So, yeah, so that was something that I wasn't prepared for, but um, it was okay. It worked out. Well, yeah, I mean, don't beat yourself up too much. It sounds like it worked out, as you said. And and uh, what you've identified is something that a lot of artists, when they have their first big crowdfunding score, um, they go through the exact same thing as, you, you know, you know the, the shipping costs are always that last line item that, you know, many artists um, underestimate. But, you know, it worked out. You still had, you know, put out a great EP. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, so thank you to everybody that supported that project. I'm really, really grateful. Yeah. Um, and you, know, you, you certainly can't discount that either, that um, you, know, you can't have a great Kickstarter campaign without growing a big fan base. And you have accumulated a tremendous fan base. Uh, I look to your Twitter profile where you've, and this is going to make the artists listening jealous again, you have over 100,000 Twitter followers. My goodness. Um, how are you able to build up that engagement? I imagine it was a very long process. You've invested a lot of time into developing this strong Twitter following, right? Yes. Um, I don't really uh, work. I haven't been working on it as much this year um, as last year. Uh, I was really, really, really on it last year. I mean, I'm kind of actually a little bit burnt on it, but I was, <laughs> cause I had just put so much time into it every morning. Uh, I would wake up and one of the first things that I would do would be to work on my Twitter following for 45 minutes, um, every single morning. And, um, I just would, you know, I'd like to, I follow people that, you know, are kind of interested in, in the same music that I am or their country music fans and follow them and they may follow me back and, you know, start talking to them and interacting with them. Wow. So you, you emphasize a lot of personal interaction with the people you follow, even when you, uh, you know, have such a big following, you still try to, you know, talk to people directly. 
Yeah. I mean, I do my best to try and answer everybody. Like I, I don't answer, I unfortunately don't get to answer everybody, but I do my best, but it's just like the, you know, the, the support has just grown overwhelmingly in the past year or so. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes for me to keep up with it. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about those fans, the Alaniacs as they have been dubbed. Um, <laughs> you know, I was so that was when I'm when I was looking over your career over the last you know couple of weeks and just sort of seeing some of the things you've accomplished. Um, seeing this fan club really made me smile. I feel like in indie music, the the fan club has been a dying art. Um, it you know it harkens back to the old days where you actually mail something out and then you get to be part of the artist fan club. But you know, with artists like you, it's making a comeback and. Um, it's, I'm sure it's paid off for you big time. Uh, can you tell a little bit about, uh, how your fan club works and some of the things that you do with them to kind of, uh, invest in this devoted base of diehards that move your career forward? I haven't seen a whole lot of artists do the fan club thing lately. Um, I saw a couple artists, I think they were kind of doing something similar to it when I first moved to Nashville a few years ago, but I had a mentor of mine suggest this idea to me. Um, a few months ago. And so I started doing a little bit of research and um, reading about, you know, subscription uh, businesses. And so I decided to give it a shot. And on my website, um, elenasmusic.com, it's underneath my merch tab. You can just go there and there's a button that says subscribe. So it's kind of like a, a, a a monthly subscription. Uh, It's $5 a month. And I, as part of it, will give you discounted merchandise. Um, I email you free music and work tapes, new songs that you're going to hear before anybody else. Um, Handwritten lyrics will be emailed to you. There's a section on my website called the Alaniacs. And when you sign up, I'll send you a password and you'll get this password and enter, enter it in and you'll get um, directed to a private blog where I update every couple days and you'll see some stuff on there that no one else gets to see. And well, that's cool. A members only section. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Then, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh that's great. And, um, you know, that, that kind of fan investment has really paid off for you because I imagine it was what helped make your Kickstarter campaign so successful. And um, if you don't mind, I'd love to play for everybody the fruits of that Kickstarter campaign, uh, one of the songs off the wrong side, uh, the song Trash. Sure, yeah, thank um, you. Can you tell us a little bit about that song, uh, what, what, what it represents, what it's about? Absolutely. I wrote that song with um, Adam Kowal and Kirstie Miana. Um, Kirstie wrote Austin for Blake Shelton his first single. And, um, we got together, uh, one night wrote the song. We presented the idea to her. We had it started already. And we just wrote this about, um, somebody that I actually dated that had, um, a big potty mouth (laughs) (laughs) and, and just like talk trash about everybody, everybody in his life. And I was just so inspired by it that I just had to write a song about it. So that's where that came from. All right. I have to ask, cause I imagine, you know, people are curious. Does he know the songs about him? Um, I do not. know. 
Oh my good. Now, <laughs> oh, I might have just given it away. All right. Well, now now we get to uh, we, we get to have people uh, enjoy this. This is trash off of uh, Elena's new EP, "The Wrong Side," here on the Break the Business Podcast. got them but sometimes you can hit rock bottom shooting your mouth like fireworks popping running that dirt when you should be stopping you saying you hating a hater even judas would have called you a traitor someday school dropout kind of behavior quit right now do us all a favor like graffiti on a back alley dumpster like a back fell off the truck in the of me. was trash by Elena off her latest EP, The Wrong Side, here on the Break the Business podcast. That album is available pretty much anywhere music can be found, including iTunes. You can follow Elena on Twitter at Elena924, and her website is elenasmusic.com. Man, that song is great. I, I can I can totally understand the uh, three-time Songwriter of the Year award now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much oh of, of course uh thank you so much for being on the show elena uh before we let you go and uh we'd love to have you on again of course but uh could you uh do you have any other uh last tips that you'd want to impart to the indie artists out there 
Sure. Um, I heard this a lot when I first moved to Nashville and I was um, soaking up all the knowledge and information that I could. It's just that um, this isn't going to be handed to you and that you have to go out there and just kind of do it, you know. Oh, um, that, and, uh, you certainly are, you're going out there yourself, you're working hard, you're building that fan base, you're really hustling. It's inspiring, um, to, to speak with people like you, Elena. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much. I'd love to be back. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, thank you. Happy St. Patrick's Day (laughs) to you too, as well. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Elena for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about her music at A-L-A-Y-N-A-S-Music.com. Dave, I was actually talking about this to you during the break, but it mm-hmm. might be worth it just to bring it up to everybody. Uh, one of the things I like about Elena's music, or you know, the way she runs her career and the way she just kind of does everything, is the level of hustle that she brings to her work. Right. I think if if we could sort of clone that with other indie artists... Uh, we'd see a lot more success in the indie sector. Um, she reminds me a lot of something that Jerry Seinfeld once said about his stand-up comedy. And, you know, he's been noted to say that one of the reasons why he was able to kind of bubble up to the top early in his career is that he treated his stand-up comedy like a regular nine-to-five job. Like mm-hmm. he would plan out each day. He would work on his material all through the work day like he would if he was working any other, you know, white-collar office job. And that allowed him to put in the, you know, to, to have a lot of success. And Elena does a lot of the same stuff. You know, she talked about in that last interview, how, you know, she plans out her week and says what she's going to do each week. And she sets larger organizational goals for herself. I'm going to have this many Twitter followers by this month. I'm going to, you know, have this many people in the Elaniacs fan club by this time of year. And if you can bring that kind of organization to your work as an indie artist, and frankly, if we brought that kind of organization to our own podcast, we'd we, we can be billionaires like Jerry Seinfeld, too. That's right. <laughs> By the way, is that like an old reference that you just brought up, Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah, it is kind of an old it's reference. Like, indie artists. What's the deal with them? They're not from India. They don't paint. What's going on? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have two game shows today on the board. I feel like we haven't really been doing the game shows. We've been neglectful. Of game shows. All right. So I see the first one here, and we should probably set this up a little bit. Uh, during our last episode, we were joking about it would be a funny because we were talking about Krista Hartman, who is a guest we had on a few weeks ago, and that she was from Canada. And it made us start to joke about. Oh, I think we, we mentioned that there's a, a local hockey television personality, Randy Moeller, called Red Deer Randy Moeller. Yeah. Red Deer, because that's the town. And how many people really actually know that Red Deer is a town? That's right. And it makes me just wonder, okay, especially with Americans, do you know what's a Canadian town or if it's just words put together? All right. And so that's the game show we're going to do where you're going to say random, you're going to say phrases, and I have to say if it's a Canadian town or if it's not. Yeah, it's like gibberish, yeah. And what's the, what's the name of our show? Well, it's Canadian Town or Hoser Talk, eh? Oh, that's right. Welcome to Canadian Town or Hoser Talk, eh? 
Hey Ryan, how's it going, eh? Uh, who is this voice? Oh, this this is a uh, Canada Dave, right? Or, oh no, no, wait, hey, Canada Canada Dave. Ah, <laughs> you get it because Canada ends with a D A A, right? And um, well, no, it's a D A, not yeah. a D A A, right? A. Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's like Canada. <laughs> anyway, but you added a V E, and it's like Canada. It's Canada Dave, right? Okay. Yes, so. indeed. Thanks very. Thanks for uh, hosting this show, Canada Canada Dave. Oh, yeah, you got it, buddy. Okay. Hey, I, I, I'm, by the way, I'm sorry if that was confusing for you, man. I don't, I don't mean to like cause you any sort of like consternation or anything like that. All right, buddy. I'm okay. Okay, that, that's good. Eh? <laughs> all right. So, uh, you know, uh, regular Dave uh, talked about the premise. So I got, I got like some towns here for you. Okay. Maybe or do I? I, I, I that's that's the game, right? You got to so, figure it out. So I have to say whether this is it's an actual Canadian town or if it's hoser talk. That's right. Yeah, you got it. Right? All right. All right. Hoser talk. Yeah. You, you, you don't want to be a hoser, right? You oh. don't want to be a hoser. Okay. Okay. I, I don't want to be a hoser. I all want right. to get all these right. Oh, all right. All right. Kamloops. Kamloops? Kamloops. Kamloops. Um, I am going to say that... No, no way. That, that That's hoser talk. That's not a Canadian town. That's a town in British Columbia, Ryan. What? Kamloops, BC. Wrong! Oh. I'd like to apologize and say sorry for the people in Kamloops that Ryan didn't think you were a real town. We 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 appreciate you out there though. Okay, Kamloops. Oh god, not a good start. All right, Telegraph Cove. Telegraph, Telegraph Cove. You know, I I think that's a Canadian town. Yeah. Good on you, buddy. That's Telegraph Cove, also in British Columbia. All eh? right. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Good. Very good. 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 You got a goal there, buddy. <laughs> I like Canada Dave's sense of humor. Oh, thanks, buddy. I, I, that really that means a lot coming from you, man. I, I it, 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 it just really makes me feel good inside and everything. Yeah. I also noticed that Canada Dave, Canada Dave, Canada Dave. It's, it's what it's your preference, buddy. Much nicer to me than regular Dave. Like that that guy is a bit of a holder sometimes. I mean, he just seems to like do that and to you, man. I'm really sorry about it. It's like you know that and Keith Richards even. Like that guy just needs to have like you know like a nice blue Canadian uh, blue ribbon and everything, and just you know you gotta relax, buddies. Okay, guys, come on. It's 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 too cold to be this mad. Okay, it's too cold. <laughs> All right, Ryan, is this a Canadian town? Lake Beach. Come on, Lake Beach. Lake Beach. Um, those two things would never go together. That's hoser talk. You're right, Ryan. Yeah. I made it up. There we go. All right. All right. Hey, I, I got the lead now. I got two yeah. to one. Ryan, is this a real town or is this just hoser talk? Slave Lake. Slave Lake. Man, that's wildly offensive, Canada Dave. Um, I'm, I'm very sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Do you want me to, I, I can strike it out if you want. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, that's, that sounds like a Canadian town. Slave Lake, Alberta. Oh, look at that. I'm doing well here. I know, yeah. my, I know I don't, my Canada I, I, towns. I don't know the history of Slave Lake, but um, I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> okay, Ryan. We got one right here. I got one for you, Ryan. I, okay. okay, I'm going to try to trick you right now. Okay. Or no, wait. Does that give me away? I don't know. <laughs> it's just so cold, Ryan. <laughs> and the wolves. What did you just do? <laughs> I don't know, Ryan, but I, I got to tell you, I like being here because it's not cold. Yeah, it's it's the weather's quite nice in Miami right now. And there's not a pack of gray wolves just outside waiting. Yeah, we don't we don't really do a lot of gray wolves here in South Florida. That's true. I I, I see them and they're just waiting. They're they're just waiting, Ryan. They're waiting. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. 
Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. Um, I'm going to say that's Hoser Talk. Nope. Thunder Bay, Ontario. No, eh? man. Once again, we'd like to apologize to all of our listeners in Thunder Bay, Ontario. We do valid, value <laughs> you, and you, we realize you're a great town with a nice city government and provincial elected officials, and probably some really nice mom and pop shops, eh? Thunder Bay. All right. That sounded. Okay. All right. All right. Fort Beaverton. Oh, come on. That's that's hoser talk. Good job, Ryan. Yeah. I, I made it up. Fort Beaverton, eh? <laughs> Sounds real, though, right? It, it does. It does. Like, when I think Canada, I think I think forts, and I think beavers, and I think towns. So it's got, like, everything in it. Exactly. You know, when I was a little wee lad, like a five, like I was a little five-year-old Canadian, Canada Dave, I can't even remember <laughs> what my name is, apparently. <laughs> I, I would make blanket forts, and I, what, it was called Fort Beaverton. Oh, so that, that's where that came from. Oh, yeah, it was I mean, really great. If I was going to make, if I was going to create a fictional Canadian town for a movie, I'd probably mm-hmm. call it Fort Beaverton. So Okay, well, I'd say normally that was my intellectual property, but you can have it if you want, Ryan. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want you to go out of the way, okay? Oh, uh, thank you, okay. Canada Dave. All right. Okay. Saguenay. Canada Dave. There, anyway, what? Saguenay. Saguenay? Saguenay. Can you spell that for me? Okay. <laughs> what I have here is uh, S-A-G-U-E-N-A-Y, as in A. See, that that sounds weird enough that I can't imagine Dave or Canada Dave would have thought to make that up. So I'm going to say that's a real Canadian town. Well, that's a, that's a town in Quebec, right? Yeah. yeah. Saguenay. <laughs> Actually, I got a friend up there. True story. Okay. <laughs> Great. All right. Veloville. 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 Actually, actually, I should hand it over to my uh, French-Canadian Dave, a friend over here, Quebecois Dave. Hi, Quebecois Dave. Uh, how you doing, Ryan? It, uh, wait, yes, I, I got to find it. Quebecois Dave's having trouble with the accent a little bit. I get, I get, I get some uh, poutine lodged in my throat, Ryan, so that's why. So, uh, yes, that's the Quebecois. All right. <laughs> yes, I, I should have actually told you second name. Yes, now with uh, Veloville. Uh, Vel- uh, I'm going to say that's a Canadian town. You, you, you stupid idiots, Ryan. How, how, how could you? This is fake. Veloville, a velo, Ryan, is a bicycle. And you're basically <laughs> saying this is a city <laughs> of bicycles, Ryan. <laughs> I, I, you would not have any of the wine I have here or the poutine. The poutine oh. is for me. Quebecois Dave is so much more mean than Canada Dave. Well, you know, Ryan, I don't have the time for you or your games or your hijinks, whatever it is. And this, uh, this fool over here, Canada Dave, <laughs> who thinks he's representative of the entire country, but he is not. That's all right. Yeah, no, no. Believe me, like we're we're not trying to disinclude the French people from this uh, Canada game we have here. Okay, I, Ryan, I'm I'm starting to not like this hoser over here. He's like, oh, what's you going to do about this? All right, buddy. <laughs> I was like, okay, buddy. Wow, well, I've lost it. Uh, <laughs> do you have any more Canada towns? Yes. How many more? By the way, Veloville is a store. Sorry, I made it up and I googled it, and it's a bicycle store. <laughs> Veloville. There you go. Meat Cove. Oh, now that has to. Oh, mm, mm. Meat Cove. Meat Cove. Um, I'm gonna say with a lot of trepidation, Canada Town. Meat Cove, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Oh, oh wait, no, sorry. There it is. So anyway, that was a uh, that was a good job, eh, Ryan? I've, I've managed to find my way back out here. Uh, <laughs> I took a little break for a second. I took. I, I hope you don't mind. I had some back bacon frying up back there. <laughs> and I hope, hope the smell's not too bad for you. I don't mean to cause any offense or trouble, Ryan. <laughs> well, thank okay. you. Okay, and again, I can do that because now there's no wolves here. Because, Ryan, when the, I do the bacon, the wolves, Ryan, do you know what they're doing? You're really afraid of these gray wolves. But do you know what they're doing, Ryan? What are do they the doing? They're waiting. 
They're just waiting and looking at me. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking, but I don't think it's nice. It seems to be very adversarial. Yeah, you seem really, really, really afraid of the Great Wolves. <laughs> it's a problem, Ryan. <laughs> but you, you seem to be laughing a lot about the Great Wolves. I mean... I used to have three roommates. <laughs> uh, God bless them. They're playing that great hockey game in this guy. <laughs> Is that it? You got any more? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm terribly sorry, Ryan, if you wanted more, but uh, that, that that's all I got. Oh, okay. So that, oh, it was very nice to be here and again to take shelter and secure facilities and warmth. And um, I guess I'll be going back now, eh? Well, thank you um, very much for joining us, Canada Day. Oh, it was my pleasure. Eh? Hey, if you want me back anytime, I, I'll, I'll totally come whenever you need me. But also, if you don't want to see me again, I that, that's fine. I understand. Oh, no. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thanks very uh, much. That that just means a lot, buddy. Um, music kind of ended abruptly there, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So now <laughs> now we go right into another game show. Oh, God. We're not playing this again, are we? We are. We haven't played Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show in months, and I've been so happy. But we're doing this again. Yep. Now it's time for Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show here on the Break the Business Podcast. Here's Dave. Thanks, Dave. It's been a while, Dave. I, I'm so thrilled. I, I'm so bad at this game. I'm so, so bad at it. It's a before and after style game show. We have to mix the two concepts together, and I'm, I'm just bad at it. And, You're, and You'll be good at this one. I, again, I, I have taken, you know, I've taken suggestion and kind of, you know, I've dumbed it down for you. I've made it so that even you, Ryan, the simpleton, can get this. <laughs> that's, that's mean. I know. After the vibe that Ken and Dave had here, you know, it's just, I'm not sure if he makes me nicer or if I'm going to be like now extra like, extra mean to you. make up for how nice Canada Dave is. Yeah. I know. I think it falls somewhere in the middle there. Okay. Okay. So we actually, got, we got, we're going to try to do this a little bit faster. Kind of like what we did with our Star Wars one. Oh, rapid you know? fire. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. It's funny. I guess there's no music. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ready, buddy? Yeah, let's do it. And once again, I have to remember not to read the first part, which is the answer. I should probably start writing these with the question first and then the answer. Yeah, that might, it might be helpful. I don't know why I'm doing it backwards. No, that's not me. All right. <laughs> Matt Damon and family have their adventure slowed down by DMV workers. Okay. Matt Damon and what was that? Matt Damon and his family. Oh, oh, I got it. No, it's a, it's We Bought a Zootopia. Yes. Oh, good start. All right. Topical and all in the 21st century. I know. I so appreciate that. you cannot that. get mad at me. Thank you very much. I did not see Zootopia yet. Actually, I'm not going to see Zootopia. It's really good. Wait, I'm, we're not, we're not doing, we did this last week, but you should see Zootopia. Oh, it's that's a right. It's a great movie. We, we literally did this last week. Yes. Okay. It's all a great right. movie though. All right. Michael J. Fox is a real beast when it comes to playing the stocks. Michael J. Fox is a real beast. Michael J. Fox is a beast. When it comes to playing the stocks, stocks at trading places, Michael J. Fox is a beast. Who was he? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, Teen Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Sorry. You're so stale at being right. You don't know where I know. it is. <laughs> and we also haven't played this game in months, and I don't know where the keys are on the keyboard, but we're good. All right. We're okay. Good. All right. Next yeah. one. Next one. All right. This is a good yeah. one. All right. Julianne Moore is starting to forget that she's trying to move up the social ladder to impress a wealthy Fred McMurray. No, why? Why? Why is Fred McMurray showing up again? We because Fred McMurray's the god of the show, Ryan. We were having a perfectly great Dave Zajan Untitled Game show, and then Fred McMurray's corpse had to show up again. 
Don't anger Fred McMurray. Okay. Well, you and Evan constantly anger Fred McMurray. J- Julianne Moore forget like that this Julianne one, Moore is starting to forget that she's trying to move up the social ladder to impress a wealthy Fred McMurray. Oh God. Um. Well, she just had this movie where she plays somebody with like dementia or Alzheimer's, and her name was like it was forgetting. Forgetting and forgetting something, but I don't even know what the Fred McMurray was one is anyway, so I'm just wrong. What is it? <laughs> still Alice Adams. Oh, still Alice. Wrong. Yes. Alice Adams with Catherine Hepburn also. Oh, crap. Well, I was doing well up until that. Surprised you didn't see that one, Ryan. Yeah. Fred McMurray movies. Gotta love them. All right. Next. Not only did that... Wait, did we do the wrong sign for you? Yeah. Wrong. Oh, okay. I must have... I, I wasn't paying attention, apparently. You want, it, you want it again? Oh, please. please. Wrong! <laughs> there you go. I still love that you recorded that. It's so it great. It is great. It's All right. great. All Next. Right. Not only did that rug really tie the room together, it kept those evil rich kids from taking over the mountain from our lovable partiers. Oh, room? I guess that's a line from the movie. Rug really ties the room together. Oh, God. And then the Aspen partiers. Oh, God. No, this is like every 80s movie. Every 80s movie was about this. Like, every, literally, every movie in the 1980s is about uh, rich kids trying to take over the ski lodge from the partiers. And you have to, like, win a boat regatta to, like, save the community center. And, oh, crap. But I don't remember the names of any of them. Oh, no. Just... What was the first part? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get it right. Give me the clue again. Give me the clue again. Not only did that rug really tie the room together, it kept those evil rich kids from taking over the mountain from our lovable partiers. Oh, God. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Damn it. The Big Lebowski School. Wrong! Oh, come on! I should. Yes, that is from The Big Lebowski. You're right. That room really tied the room together, dude. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I should, shut you know, the bleep up, that, Donnie. That's so annoying that, like, I know that every movie in the 1980s, that was the plot of the movie, what you just said, and I, for, but I just could not remember the name of, of, like, any of those movies. Ryan, did you hear, man? Vance Henderson's totally going to get his dad to take over the place and build a mini-mall. We gotta stop him! Mini-malls are the worst, bro. Yeah. You know those movies can't be made anymore because mini-malls are now not the threat? Yeah, it's true. I think I remember like uh, the Brady movie was the last time that a developer making a mini mall <laughs> was the most evil thing in the world. Is it wrong that whenever I watch those movies, like I found myself taking the side of the rich person? It's like they want to tear down our crappy, you know, ski lodge that nobody really likes and it smells bad. And they want to turn it into like a great resort where people are going to have a good time with their family. No, we got to stop them, dude. Right. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Sometimes so, development's a good thing, you little punk kids. So why do you like Daredevil? We had this conversation before. Wilson Fisk is that guy grown up. That <gasps> We just solved the code of Daredevil, of the Kingpin. That The Kingpin was the one of those like obnoxious blonde kids in the 80s. <laughs> and his dad, he was thwarted in this ski slash regatta slash what have you race. His dad <laughs> beat him mercilessly and like, uh, you know disowned him for not winning it. And now that's his way to get back. Oh, my God. Dude, my mind is blown, man. <laughs> wow. But we can't forget the game. That's right. <laughs> Tom Hanks' best line of this movie. Doctor, 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 doctor. What? No. Tom Hanks' best line of this movie. Doctor, 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 doctor. Wait a minute. The first part of it has you, has me basically trying to say the best line of the movie, 
But you didn't say what movie it was. You started saying doctor, doctor, doctor. If you know what line the movie's from, you'd get the whole thing. I don't even. I can't even begin to know the answer to this. Bridge of Spies Like Us. Oh, wrong. Yeah, you are wrong. Spies Like Us. Hello, come on, Doctor, 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 Doctor. When Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase are meeting all the doctors, posing as doctors. Have you not seen Spies Like Us? It's been a while. Get out of here. Some... <laughs> okay. I could do this show without you. It'd be funny. <laughs> I give the questions to air, <laughs> and the air gets it. All right. <laughs> Ride shiny and chrome with Bob, Bing, and Dorothy Lamore. You're a jerk. I am not, and you'll see why. You're a jerk. Why? You know why? Why? Because you got my hopes up. Because obviously the first half of that clue is very gettable. And you're like, oh, I'm feeling good now. All I got to do is just put it together like what he's going to do after Mad Max, Fury Road. And then you just do some like random old movie from like 500 years ago. That's why you're a jerk. Are you, are you giving up? No, give it to me again. Not that it's going to help. Ride shiny and chrome with Bob, Bing, and Dorothy L'Amour. Bob. Bing. So it's 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 one of those Bob Hope, uh, Bing Crosby road movies. But I don't, like, so it's Mad Max Fury Road to nothing. I, I um, uh, So so basically, give me an answer. the only way I'm going to get me this an right is I have to just pick some random geographic location and hope I'm right. Um, Mad Max Fury Road to Vegas. Wrong. Wrong. Hit it again. Wrong. This was so easy because you had the option, my friend, because Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and Dorothy Lamore made so many of these movies, you could have said... It could have been any of the Mad Max Fury Road to Utopia, Road to Hong Kong, Road to Zanzibar, Road to Bali, Road to Rio, Road to Singapore, or Road to Morocco. How did they take a road to Hong Kong? There's a, a lot of oceans between here and there. A nine-year-old can get that right, Ryan. Your niece can get that right. Okay? <laughs> She's in the car right now listening, getting it right. <laughs> Uncle Ryan is an idiot with movies from the 1940s. Thanks. Yo, you're very welcome. I, you, I, is it, is you it, had... Don't I get... You po- seriously had choices i understand but i didn't know but don't i get at least partial credit to that i knew where you were going with it i knew it was one of these bing crosby bob hope road movies but i don't know the name of any of them because i'm not 70 years old partial credit that's an interesting thought but you know what i think is written you are instead of partial credit wrong yeah thanks all right last one and this uh-huh. one is super simple now have i is, are we even like have i gotten the same a number right as wrong here is this like the money ball I haven't kept score. Neither have I. Okay. I'm just so used to getting them all wrong. Like, get, keeping score seems useless. Wait, one, two, three, four. No, you've only got two right, but you got you got four wrong and two right. I've gotten four wrong? Yes. Come on. Still Alice Adams, Big Lebowski, School Bridges, Spies Like Us, Mad Max, Cherry Road 2, etc. Oh, crap. So no matter what, I can't win. You're finally understanding, Ryan. Wrong! You finally understood the point to all of this. <laughs> Everything. The podcast, life, life are yep. everything. Yep. So you're saying this game is just a microcosm of my whole existence. Yes. Th- essentially, right. this should be called Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show, brought to you by John Paul Sartre. Wow. That's a that's deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take me back to like freshman year philosophy. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we just stopped it dead in its tracks. Yeah. All right. Last one. And this one you'll get. Flip your hats and fight some MIGs. 
flip your hats and fight some MIGs. Ooh, flip, flip your hats. Flip your hats and fight some. I mean, something Top Gun? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. You're giving up? I am giving up. Hit Wrong. it. Over the Top Gun. Over the. Oh, fl- oh, flip your hats because he flips his hat before he arm wrestles. We literally talked Wrong. about that on the show like three or four episodes oh, ago. And apparently you don't man. just listen to old shows and our best bits like I do religiously because I need that sort of validation, Ryan, <laughs> because I am dead inside and there is nothing. So I got to listen to myself and laugh and cry in a corner. That's what's going on over here. Uh, oh, shoot. The mic's on. Damn it. All right, it's a good as yet untitled game show where surprise, I lost again. Yep, yep. All right, our thanks to Elena for joining us in the previous segment. As always, my thanks to you, Dave, oh, for thank being you, awesome and torturing me. This our, is true. Our thanks to Canada, Dave. Oh, absolutely. This is my pleasure, buddy, man. I, I again, I just want to say thank you so much for like having me here again. I, I'm, I kind of want to crash on your couch. I was listening to you in the first segment, <laughs> and I, and I heard you say that like you know maybe if like oh if you're trying to get in town you know maybe you crash on someone's couch. And I, Ryan, I don't want to go back to the wolves. Oh yeah, anything to get you away from the gray wolves. Oh, and our thanks to Quebecois Dave as well. <sighs> I don't care about your thanks, Ryan. You can take your thanks and put them away. All right, I don't have any wolves. I'm in the civilized part of Canada. I don't know what this guy's problem is. I get Putin. I get uh, the Canadians. I get everything. What is, what is this fool doing? I, just, I don't understand any of you. I don't understand any of this. It is pointless. And finally, thanks. <laughs> thanks to all of you for listening to the Break the Business podcast.